Hello and welcome or welcome back to the Soft Edges podcast. I am your host, Lucy, and here with me today and as per usual is my juicy, wonderful and smart co-host, Mayas Raquel. <laughs> and wait, it is our 10th episode. Holy What? shit. <laughs> I cannot believe we've already released 10 episodes and I cannot believe there are only two left for season one. Wow. Yeah. Feels like it was just yesterday. I know. Wow. Oh so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, how are you feeling today, you beautiful human? Oh, I'm good. Quite good. Thank you. Uh, generally yeah. fine, but I must say I'm still doing too much. Uh, nothing changed mm -hmm. on that front. And the scary <laughs> thing is that I still have a hard time noticing when I'm doing too much. Because recently oh. I was talking to someone and I told them about what I've been up to lately. And at the end I was like, yeah, so just that, not much, you know. And then they were like, what? Excuse me, this sounds a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It just uh, confronted me again with the fact that I'm really not giving myself enough rest, both physically, yeah. but also a good headspace to process and to recover and such. But the thing oh, is, yeah. noticing that doesn't help. Changing it is really not easy. It really isn't. No, it's not. It's really not. You're always doing the most. <laughs> I know. I mean, it obviously requires something that I'm at the moment incapable of giving myself, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it is. But there is a huge contradiction between how I deeply aspire to treat myself and the way that I actually do, which is something that I really need to work on and change. I'm getting tired. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes. You're always doing so much. But at least as long as you're enjoying yourself, I think it's nice. But it's definitely super important for you to find a balance and actually reserve some time for you to rest, to chill and to recover for from whatever effort you've been putting into your so life. True. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the plus side mm -hmm. is I do enjoy most of the things that I'm doing except for having to talk to you for this uh, podcast. Um. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I Just cannot kidding. imagine the misery you have to go through every week. <laughs> Just kidding. Love ya. Love ya, tao. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I can't. <laughs> anyway, swiftly moving on from this wonderful compliment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lovely. In today's episode, we are continuing our wonderful journey through the incredible book Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good by the ever-wonderful and iconic Adrian Murray Brown. We are going to cover the chapters between the pages 345 and 381, so if you have a copy of this magnificent book, feel free to grab it, and if not, just sit back and enjoy the ride. Mm, yes. <laughs> so without further ado, shall we? <laughs> yes, let's dive right in. Wonderful. So the first chapter we are going to talk about is titled Fly as Hell, a conversation with Sonia Renee Taylor. And in this chapter, Adrienne Marie Brown introduces us to Sonia Renee Taylor, a performance poet, activist, transformational leader and founder of The Body is Not an Apology movement, which is described as, quote, We believe that discrimination, social inequality and injustice are manifestations of our inability to make peace with the body, our own and others. Through information, dissemination, personal and social transformation projects and community building, the body is not an apology fosters global, radical, 
unapologetic self-love which translates to radical human love and action in service toward a more just, equitable and compassionate world. End quote. Beautiful. If that's not a fucking amazing description, I don't know what is. Nothing, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> yes. And so Sonia, uh, the founder of this movement, is a language lover. And her love for words and language is what actually led her to create this movement. The body is not an apology. This sentence actually came to her during a heart-to-heart -heart conversation that she was having with a friend. And it immediately hit her. It suddenly, quote kept illuminating all the ways I was not in alignment with what I was speaking. So I was compelled to get in alignment. I had to figure out what had me still operating like an apology when I was saying otherwise, end quote. So what started as a friendly advice turned into a hashtag, which then turned into a movement which today reaches 250,000 persons weekly. Wow, fucking Whoa. yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And with this movement, Sonia created a community based on radical vulnerability, radical honesty, radical empathy, and radical self-love. I am so happy, to say the least, that Sonia Renee Taylor exists. And oh, yeah. I feel like we need more people like her who are doing positive work and change in the world to be given a larger platform and more lights, more attention, you know? 100%. <laughs> I think Sonia yeah. Renee Taylor is a legend. I got to know her. Um, I got to know of her, not not her. <laughs> I wish during the latest Black Lives Matter uprising, and uh, yeah, with the incredible videos that she shared during that time, especially mm -hmm. analyzing mm -hmm. what was happening and offering new perspectives and directions for change and action. She was amazing, amazing. Each new video she shared was just mind blowing and. Interesting that you mentioned that she's a language lover and lover of words and such, because I remember one video of hers, she wanted to talk about nihilism and she was like, nihilism or nihilism, nihilism or nihilism, how to pronounce <laughs> that? And then she said, whatever, I, I will go with nihilism because it's like annihilation, <laughs> what these people are doing, it's like self-annihilation. And yeah. yeah, it just, yeah, it, it just reminded me of that. Yeah, <laughs> so nice. <laughs> yeah, love her. And I love reading about her work within the frame of uh, the body is not an apology and how shame mm -hmm. relates to body. It's mm -hmm, just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So what were your thoughts on Sonia's interview and what did you take from it? I loved that because actually I was also reading another book this week while we were also working on this episode. Uh, I was reading Alok Weidmanen's book Beyond the Gender Binary. And Ooh. there they said something related to this. And I have it here, actually. Uh, quote, the thing about shame is that it eats you until it fully consumes you. Then you cannot tell the difference between their shame and your own, between a body and an apology. End quote. So I was Oof. suddenly like, wow, these two, <gasps> two uh, texts that I'm engaging with today hit somewhere so parallel or, or, or actually literally the same spot. It's just, um, yeah, brilliant. It's a very important take, I think, on the yeah, way absolutely. we approach body and embodiment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved it. Had you ever thought of it this way? Not really that much. I mean, it's clear to me already that the ways 
in which so many forms of oppression shape our body through shaming, fear and control, you know, making it a commodity rather than uh, this divine embodiment we have, we are as humans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how body becomes a currency and such. Um, so, yeah, these were the thoughts that I had after reading the essay. And it kind of grounded these ideas that I had floating around in her mm -hmm, own framework, mm -hmm. you know. I see, yeah. How was it for you? Yeah, I really loved this interview as well. I think it's very rich in valuable information and insight for sure. And something that caught my attention is Sonia's answer to Brown's question, what have you learned about your body in that journey? And to that, Sonia answered, quote, I learned the way I was that I was bettering myself, bartering myself. I saw my body as both shame and currency. How can I get what I want from you using this? At the same time, deeply not believing that this was enough. Like, let me sell you something I don't want. This work has given me the chance to dig into that. Why do you want to give yourself away, Sonia? End quote. And it's it kind of relates. It actually relates to what you were just saying just now. Um, a body as shame and currency simultaneously. It, to me, it was kind of like, wow, this is something I can personally relate to from a, from a different perspective um, in, in a way that I, I definitely used to consider my own body in such a way as, mm -hmm. a, as a currency, especially in my teen years. And so I asked myself the same question that Sonia asked herself, which, which was, why do you want to give yourself away? I asked this question to my younger self, my between 13 and 18 year old self, I would say. And the answer that I got super spontaneously was because I do not dare to define my worth. So I let others do it for me. Whoa. Yeah, that's like the super spontaneous answer that I got to this question in the moment. I'm sure there are so many layers to unpeel within this one sentence, but it felt true. It felt like I was truly talking to my younger self and that's what she had to say to me. And at that time, indeed, I don't think I was even aware of the possibility to define my own self-worth on something else than my body. Wonder why? <laughs> this is the kind of effect that <laughs> oppression has on oh, you, yeah. apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is what came up to me while reflecting on this particular section of the interview oh yeah. that's incredible i love that lucy wow it speaks to me as well i must say really and actually yeah. this realization is something that i have uh, received or understood not that long ago quite recently mm -hmm. actually quite recently i really decided to define my own value or my body's value for myself mm -hmm. you know when mm -hmm. i want to consider my body and consider um, its shape or what I want to do with it very recently I'm like yeah and that is for me for myself yeah Not for any kind of external validation or any any anyone else for anyone else to judge the value of it or define the value of it um, that's so fucking cool absolutely I, I think Sonia's body is not an apology really highlights one of these core problems these systems and politics create our own bodies because they expect us to be apologetic about our bodies for so mm -hmm, many reasons, mm -hmm. for our abilities or disabilities, for the amount of space we take or the lack thereof also. Oh, yeah. And oh, literally yeah. almost any shape of bodies are shamed. Literally uh -huh. almost any shape 
are shamed and the ones that aren't are at the other side of this toxic situation where their bodies are currency like the instagram exactly. perfect bodies for example oh, yeah yeah my discover section because the algorithm knows i'm gay as fuck so it only shows me <laughs> <laughs> these instagram perfect bodies these dudes constantly working out how these shirtless selfies with their <laughs> yeah incredibly yeah. perfect bodies And then that's the other side of it, okay? And even then, people probably find many ways to shame them too. Oh, for sure. I've seen that a lot on social media. There is uh, this actor who I absolutely love, who um, he's a comedian, actually, an American comedian, um, uh, Kumail Nanjiani. And he recently went through this body transformation for a specific role. I think he was training a lot uh, for a Marvel film. Mm -hmm. And so he went from having a quote-unquote normal body to being quite ripped and he got so much backlash from social media people on the internet for being buff basically <laughs> and it was so weird to see like people are just not happy no matter what oh, yeah. like, <laughs> they're Absolutely. always going to find something to say about your body that's so problematic <laughs> and it was so sad yeah <laughs> Because, yeah, you can't do anything right, apparently. And uh, this guy was just training for a film and he he wasn't even posting shirtless pictures or anything. But it was a f picture of him in his shirt and in his kitchen. And you could see the muscles, obviously. But suddenly <laughs> he got backlash for that. Like, wow. who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we just so, yeah. shut the fuck up about other people's bodies? Why can't we just do that? That's so twisted. That's so strange. Yeah. It's time we move on from shaming everybody else's mm. bodies. Like, it's it's fine. Everybody has a body. Everybody should be able to do whatever the fuck they want oh, with yeah. their body. <laughs> yeah. And present it however they want, by the yes. way. It doesn't yes, matter please. whether you put, you put clothes on or you undress yourself. Absolutely. Both are fine. Both are empowering. Both are completely <laughs> okay to do. <laughs> yeah. But also, body is... is... Body is not a toxic apology. You know what I mean? A toxic, mm -hmm. a toxic apology in the sense that like you don't even know what you are required to apologize for, but you are required to apologize. You know, yeah. it's that kind of a system. You don't even know how you're supposed to be to not be shamed. And mm -hmm. then the system still says like, yeah, but you have to apologize for looking like this, for being like this. Yeah. It's a fucking toxic apology that it requires from us. Ugh. So manipulative. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, very manipulative. Ew. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> The disgust. <laughs> The disgust. Where's my vomit bucket? <laughs> But going back to the chapter and this wonderful interview, towards the end of their conversation, Adrian Marie Brown asks Sonia two very interesting questions, which I would actually like to ask you, Mayas, if you're comfortable answering them, of course. Mm -hmm. You can totally skip. Do you remember when you were taught that the body was supposed to be an apology? And how did you learn that it was not indeed an apology? Interesting. Hmm, when did I learn this? God, when I look back on it, I mean, I guess around the age 10, I was already aware of bodies mm -hmm. and problems around them as well. I think at the age of 12, I remember once um, a girl just out of the blue told me that she wished that my cousin had my personality or that I had his looks. <gasps> and I was like, <laughs> excuse her. <laughs> 
<laughs> so then she she demanded that apology from me for not switching bodies with my cousin. <laughs> oh well. Okay. <laughs> that's totally normal. All right. I know. Yeah. And Jeez. Yeah, I guess that that's an incident that I clearly remember where my body was supposed to be an apology. Yeah. Um and when I learned that it isn't or it's not supposed to be probably wasn't really a revelation but a gradual result of a mm-hmm. of a process of healing and feeling more comfortable in my body and such thanks to people mm-hmm. like Sonia thanks to great friends thanks to therapy i don't know whatever thanks to pain yeah. that i went through yeah thanks yeah, to pain growth, and thinking basically. that absolutely thinking that i'm not supposed to suffer you know at yeah. one point yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think so good for you yeah yeah thank you what about you i'm curious For both of these. Yeah, those are interesting questions. I was super curious to hear your answer and then I thought about what I what it would be for me. And before I dive in, I'll issue a super gentle trigger warning because I'm gonna talk about body issues. Um so for me I believe that I learned that my body was supposed to be an apology through the body image struggles I witnessed very closely to me two very important women in my life who are both very strong and creative always talked negatively about their bodies around around me around, around everybody else because they sometimes gained weight and had some belly fat or thicker thighs and as a young and easily influenced mind, I took their behaviors in and registered registered those behaviors as blaming your body, degrading your body was the norm, basically. And I would say that maybe later in life, as a young girl of color who lacked self-confidence and so badly wanted to fit in with the cool crowd, <laughs> I learned mm-hmm. that my body was only meant for me to be accepted, validated, um, a currency again as mm-hmm. as we mentioned before all the while i was overacting constantly seeking attention and pretending that i was fine with how everybody including me treated or used my body when the reality was that i i hated it more and more after every use let's say yeah but the way i learned that it was not an apology was through self exploration and self-care in my early 20s i would say the more i kept my body to myself for myself consciously consciously mindfully the more i took care of it looked at it learned to love it the less it became an apology and the more comfortable i became with sharing it consensually whether quote unquote simply visually like on the beach or in front of friends or on on photo shoots um or centrally as well So, yeah, I think that's my answer. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And it must have been really difficult to dismantle that early conditioning you received from people you took as early role models, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. Really good point in in the sense that as children we also really look up to the, the adults around us, the caretakers and how they consider certain things their values on certain yeah. things or their ideas their thoughts on certain things and we really internalized that mm-hmm. i had that too honestly in my family too like there was huge fat phobia and people mostly directed it to themselves when they looked totally fine to me for example yeah. <laughs> they would say they hated their bodies and exactly such. 
Uh, I wish we weren't thrown, kicked out of Garden of Eden like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were still there thinking that everyone looks fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> I know. The messages we could have not registered in our minds and bodies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's a new therapy technique that allows that, I'm there. Oh, I would pay for it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I would invest in it. <laughs> The eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Erase yeah, it. Erase yeah, it please, all. Please, please. Delete permanently. <laughs> move to trash. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we can move on to the next chapter on our list, which is titled On the Pleasures of Wardrobe, a Conversation with Maori Holmes. And this chapter is a very lovely conversation, again, centered around the love and pleasure of fashion between Adrienne Marie Brown and Maori Holmes, who Brown introduces as, quote, a curator, filmmaker, designer, and cultural worker. She is the founder and artistic director of Black Star Film Festival and currently, currently serves as executive director of Array Alliance, In addition to Black Star, her curatorial projects include Flaherty NYC in 2017, Kino Watts, Black Lily Film, and Music Festival, among others. As a filmmaker, her work has screened internationally and been broadcast throughout the United States. As a designer, she has collaborated with film and theater directors, including James Avery and Carol Mitchell Leon. Her previous professional positions include the Institute of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia, Leeway Foundation, and Washington City Paper. Maori studied costume design at the graduate level at California Institute of the Arts and earned an MFA in film from Temple University. Mm-hmm. Throughout this conversation, Maori tells us about the history of her own love and passion for dressing the body, her own and others, as well as the immense pleasure that fashion clothing brings into her life. At five years old, she was already, quote unquote, firing her own mother from picking her outfits, (laughs) (laughs) which made me giggle because that little anecdote, I just just love the nerve, (laughs) the audacity, the sass that Maori already displayed at such a young age. Yes, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I feel like this is the kind of thing you would do, too. (laughs) Oh, I probably fired my parents on numerous occasions. (laughs) And Maori also shares the intention and energy she puts into helping friends shop and dressing them, saying, quote, I'm trying to help them uncover who they truly are deep down and find it in their attire. End quote. So her body dressing practice is just full of love and care, as it always should be, I feel. <laughs> oh, yeah. And eventually, Mari shares with us the guidelines she usually follows for, quote, constructing a wardrobe that thrills and delights the wearer and the world, end quote. She presented those guidelines in the form of questions, the first one being, do you love this? Meaning, is this a love at first sight, electric kind of love? Do you need this? Mm-hmm. Do you all, Meaning, do you already own a similar item? Or is it a unique piece, a piece that you've been looking for, longing for? And what is it that catches your attention? How does it fit? Making peace with the fact that certain pieces of clothing might not fit you the way it used to anymore and letting go of them. There's always more beautiful and fitting things for you to find. 
And the fourth question guideline, how does it feel? Is the energy of the clothes speaking to you, calling out to you? I just loved those guidelines. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I thought they were incredibly well thought out, incredibly caring and heartwarming in a lot of ways. But before we dive deeper into those guidelines, I would love to know what you thought of this conversation, because I know that you love clothes and you love fashion. <laughs> yes, I really enjoyed this conversation so much. I loved it. I really loved it. <laughs> And I actually really took a couple of things with me and I believe it will be transformative for me, really. Mm -hmm. I think that these guidelines, those questions are brilliant. I really want to keep them in mind, like structurally keep them keep them in mind when I'm shopping for new clothes oh, yeah. and such or approaching my wardrobe and mm -hmm. such. And I really couldn't agree more when she said, uh, I think our wardrobes should consist of things that we absolutely love, that makes us feel good and brings us joy, end quote. And... Over many years, honestly, that's how my wardrobe evolved, by yeah. the way. Now, the main space is only for stuff that truly give me joy, that I truly love. And it has to be that way even for my loungewear. I have to love it. It can't just be an old t-shirt that I will chill in at home. Oh, I just want to love no. it. <laughs> yes. And, you know, even if no one will see it, if even if no one will ever see it, I need to wear things that make me happy with the kind of texture that I oh, want. Oh, fuck yeah. The kind of shape kind of feel that I want with beautiful colors and has to be clean and smells good and all mm, of this. I love sounds it. Sounds delicious. <laughs> mm -hmm. How did you engage with it initially? Yeah, I loved it as well. And I love those guidelines that she shared with us, of course. I, I feel like fashion is such an important part of of my life. I've always loved clothes as well. And I've always loved not only clothes that I wear but also looking at people and how they dress it just brings me joy when I see two really um, weird combinations of of, uh, of pieces of clothing for example it just catches my eye and I'm mm -hmm. like wow that's so fucking cool or if uh, loungewear for example looks super comfy it also brings me joy and I feel like wow I should get it myself too so exactly yeah and I also really liked in the do you need this um guideline how Maori pointed out that one of her friends started actually getting rid of one piece of clothing every time she got a new one and I like that as well because it allows you to renew constantly your wardrobe without getting too cluttered in it and getting lost in it and letting some pieces of clothing aside and never wearing them too it's always great I think to to make space for a new style that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now because I feel like my clothes have been colorless let's say <laughs> and I'm missing some color <laughs> in my life and I really want to get rid of all of the stuff that I haven't been wearing just donate them sell them on vintage or whatever and use that new space in my closet to bring in new clothes that are colorful and vibrant and just make me happy absolutely I love that too Yeah, I'm having an easier time getting rid of clothes, easier and easier um, as the years pass. Um, you know, but I also sometimes am attached to certain pieces of clothing because of the time that I was wearing them in 
or it reminds me of a relationship or a friendship or a city oh, or something. So it carries a certain aura that I don't want to get rid of. But then it gets too cluttered. And I had a lot of these kind of outfits that I just couldn't get rid of, but also didn't want to lose the memory aspect yeah. of them. Uh, the emotional attachment to them. So maybe you would remember on my third year, uh, in uh, during our third year in art school in Amsterdam, I made this project that I cut the fabrics of my old yes. clothing that I loved in A4 size and I made a book out of them. So that it I could so just... It was so nice. Yeah, it was just much more compact. It didn't have to take all that space in a fucking luggage or in a wardrobe, but it became a book with... with um, with its aspect, which is its texture, its fabric and its colors and shapes that carry the spirit of that time for me. So I could preserve that. It was a method of archiving for me. And mm -hmm. then I just got rid of those, the, the rest of that fabric. So it was just perfect. That's what I will yeah. keep doing, actually. And that is so you, because you love archiving. I do. And the totally. fact that you archived, quite literally archived, your clothes is just oh, yeah. so nice. It's so <laughs> lovely. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. I love it too. Yeah. Yeah. But have you ever felt this pure delight, this scream-worthy love at first sight um, towards a piece of clothing? Yes, many times. Yeah? Yeah. And I always get them. Oh! Uh, oh yeah, honestly, I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I really don't hold back when I have such a, a great connection with a piece of clothing, and I just oh, and then I just can't wear to wear, can't wait to wear it, so I can just wear it to Albert Hein or I, I don't know. I will just wear it <laughs> going to the supermarket. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I will just wear it to the fucking flower the. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but I, I will just wear it anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. Any occasion can be a special occasion, honestly. Yes, exactly. It's what I'm you not going to wait it. around for a party. Oh, hell no. Especially no. since parties are off the table at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been just dressing up for nothing, but that's many, many people are doing it right now. Actually. Yeah, I, I did that. Actually, I went to work last week um, in a sparkly little black dress mm -hmm. and with my um, thigh high boots. And because I was so tired of just not dressing up anymore. And I just thought I was longing for a party, but I just couldn't party. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to dress for work as if I was going to a party. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I that's love what that. I did. And it felt great. And I got a lot of compliments. So of there. course you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I also sometimes just dress up for nothing and then I feel myself. I'm like, wow, I look so good. Oh, yeah. I look so sexy right now. Oh, hell yeah. I wish yeah. I could fuck me. Uh -huh. But then, you know, there's a point that goes like you look at yourself in the mirror, you pose and you just sit down and mm -hmm. you look at yourself. But then there's a point that's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you, <know>? <laughs> <laughs> you still want to share it with someone you still want to be seen by so i mean i do at the end of the day i so, do too. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah. tricky those days to get that satisfaction <laughs> of just coming and entering a room and just have all yeah, eyes right? on you everybody's like oh my god i love your outfit and you're like i know yes i'm like look <laughs> at me keep looking at me <laughs> I miss You're that looking well. at the right direction. This mm -hmm. is the right direction. It's the only direction. It's the only direction. <laughs> <laughs> North, south, east, west. It's the right direction. It's me. <laughs> Check your compass. 
All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just so <laughs> in a different kind of mindset today. Um, <laughs> I can tell. I love it. <laughs> I could let you go on and on on this monologue. <laughs> yeah. No, you have to stop me at one point. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> on that note would you like to say anything else about maori's uh, conversation yes. oh yes because i really agree with maori about how our clothing matters in also the sense that how people respond to visual cues and for the ones who can't see the quality the texture the fit the mood the confidence that all these matter and how we look really impacts how others respond to us and sometimes this is unfair sometimes this sucks um, but, you know, I think most of us might have experienced that or observed how sometimes the way people react to us changes depending on how we look. Maori oh, yeah. calls it a social chemistry. It even impacts how much attention we are able to commend. You know, the way people engage with us changes according to how we look tremendously. Right? Really, people really do that. Like if you look more attractive to them, they will pay you more attention. They mm -hmm. will want to be uh, more helpful with you. I experience that a lot, you know, sometimes when I just go outside, um, when I just didn't feel like it and I look disheveled and exhausted and, <laughs> and terrible. And then and then when I'm a bit more careful about how I look, I can really sense the difference in the way people treat me sometimes. Of yeah. course, some of it might be the projections of my confidence or insecurity in that look. But mm -hmm. I must say, yeah, I, I really do think that this changes. It does, yeah. I mean, un unfortunately, I would I would say, because why should the way you look or the way you dress or the way you present yourself necessarily change the way that you're treated? I don't really see a logic there, but it definitely has some influence. Ideally, I also definitely think so. I think we should all deserve <laughs> respect and sympathy and care mm -hmm. in our communications. I guess it's the enthusiasm factor, maybe, because I also get really enthusiastic when I'm face-to-face uh, -face with someone who just was super interesting with their outfit, very expressive, or just fits them really good, you know? Yeah. I also get enthusiastic. I also feel like, oh, I want to engage with you a bit more. Yeah, it is definitely mm -hmm. an intriguing factor when uh, when you have a specific outfit on or even just your aura, the way that you hold yourself and stand in the room and behave yeah. and talk to people. That's also a huge factor, I feel. Absolutely. And I'm actually really curious. I have a question for you. What would you say the main important element is for you regarding your choice of clothing so what do you what do you mostly care for when you're picking mm -hmm. one so these days for example i'm really looking for color bright colors i love mm -hmm. colorful patterns i love really bright colors and of course comfort so i would say those are the two main criteria i look for in a piece of clothing i've been browsing instagram <laughs> for <laughs> for wonderful smaller brands that make the coolest clothes in my opinion but of course they're a little bit uh, out of my price range mm -hmm. <laughs> I have mm -hmm. let's just say I have taste for the luxury yes mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. you deserve it what about yeah. you uh, for me it's the story I think the kind of story I'm telling with it you know mm -hmm. uh, the kind of person that I want to perform with it or yeah that day that specific day or if I have an occasion in my head 
um, and an idea about what I want to perform in that occasion as well. Um, you know, like today I feel extra slutty or I want to look comfy and cozy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or I want to look more formal and a bit more serious or mysterious or something Ooh. between all of that or a mix. I think I pick clothing based on the mood a lot, the mood that I can express with them. Yeah. And then comes the color and design and then the quality of the fabric too, I think. Wow, so but that's really like interesting. That. I love that you dress depending on your mood. Oh yeah, it's all about the mood and the story for me, really. Yeah, I also tend to to do that, but in a different way. Like if I if I feel really down on myself, I'm gonna force myself to wear an outfit that I would wear on a day where I feel super joyful, something that would create joy in me, even if I'm not feeling it. Yes, exactly. You can literally yeah. put it on as a mood costume and then exactly. just embody that. Yeah. Yeah, a mood enhancer. <laughs> oh yes, yes, perfect. So it's time to move on to the next chapter of this book titled Adornment and Burlesque, a conversation yeah. with Taja Lindley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and in this chapter, Adrienne Marie Brown talks to Taja Lindley, who I would like to introduce by reading an excerpt from her biography, which is available on her website, tajalindley.com. Quote, Lindley is a memory worker, healer, and an activist. Through iterative and interdisciplinary practices, she creates socially engaged artwork that reflects and and transforms audiences, shifts culture, and moves people to action. She uses movement, text, installation, ritual, burlesque, and multimedia to create immersive works that are concerned with freedom, healing, and pleasure. Since 2014, she has developed a body of work recycling and repurposing discarded materials." End quote. Beautiful. It's a beautiful conversation that Adrienne Marie Brown has with Taja, in which Taja tells us all about how she cultivates pleasure in her life from prioritizing her creative practice, the joy of getting ready, creating handmade adornment with intention, all the way to listening to her deeper needs and aligning with what makes her feel good and letting go of what makes her unhappy, which, for example, translated into quitting jobs that created security through biweekly paychecks and health insurance, but also created unhappiness. As Teja says herself, quote, I organize my life around pleasure, so it's hard for me to stay in a space, an organization, a job if it doesn't feel good. And I think that may sound flighty. Adrian Marie Brown answers to me, it sounds like intelligence, but go on, end quote. <laughs> I love that. I love that moment. Yes, I loved it too. And the conversation then leads to the topic of burlesque with Taja uses in her performance practice. I would actually highly recommend watching her performance titled This Ain't a Eulogy, a ritual for remembering, which Taja mentions during this conversation, actually. It's available to watch on her website and it's very moving and very beautiful. I'm really curious. Yeah, you should really watch it. It's incredible. Taja uses and practices burlesque with a lot of intention and transforms it into a political tool, even in her performances, including her very first burlesque performance titled Miss Black America, in which she, quote, collaged like 30 songs together in different ways to go on this journey from the Council of Respectability condemning me to me finding my pleasure in my body to owning my crown and sexuality, 
end quote. Wow, first of all. Yes, yes Taja, yes. <laughs> yes, I sadly could not find this specific performance on the internet. I would mm -hmm. love to see it. Um, I, did you find it, perchance? No. Mm -mm. No, me neither, but maybe it wasn't recorded. However, if someone knows where we can watch it legally, please let us know, because I'm super mm -hmm. curious. Yeah. Um, and after this brief introduction... I would love to know what were your thoughts on this conversation. How did you engage with Taja? I absolutely loved that Taja decided to make joy her compass and uh, allowed it to literally direct her where she should go. Mm -hmm. And that she decided not to settle down for mediocre experiences like a stupid job or a space that doesn't feel good uh, or mm -mm. something that just can't be sustainable uh, in her life. And yeah. That was, I think that was really brilliant. And I especially enjoyed the part where she was telling us the story of how her mother and her sisters would get ready to go out yeah. to the club. Yeah. That was so much fun. And yes. how they were playing music and asking each other for clothing advice, complimenting each other. This whole sisterhood ritual that she mentions there. And my sister and I have it very similar as well. That's how we get ready to go out at night together, <gasps> too. We I can so picture you too. <laughs> I can so picture you too. We decide, you know, what, what we should wear that night. And we just dance to the music and getting us in the mood and such. Just sharing Ooh. that overall excitement, you know. And I missed that so fucking much. I can so imagine. I was reading that, I was like, I missed this. I missed this so much. Nostalgia. Oh, my God. Yes. I loved it. I loved it so much. Oh, but I would have loved to witness you two getting ready together. Because it sounds like so much fun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> But I also loved always getting ready to parties with you, by the way. Back yes. in your place in Amsterdam, how we would just put on makeup together and just compliment each other in the, oh, <laughs> the slightest yes. ways. And, yeah. <gasps> and matching accidentally. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing. And working on the bike <laughs> on our way to club. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was New Year's of last year, like mm. 2019 into 2020. We did not know what were what was wow. arriving towards us. <laughs> so good that, But it that was so we much were fun. totally wasted and just we went all the way. It was oh, it was the most fun. It was our last party. <laughs> exactly. And it was so nice to, to just get ready with you at my place and just like check our outfits in the mirror, put makeup on and all. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Spending... God knows how many hours in Alize's jacuzzi just being totally... <laughs> <laughs> Rise and shine. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Nobody's going to get it, but whatever. <laughs> I know. Well, at one point we will have to share those videos. <laughs> On our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. We should make an OnlyFans like that for that kind of video. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I was literally... <laughs> giving myself to Alice's house so <laughs> yes oh my god this is one of my favorite videos in the whole fucking world I swear oh my god <laughs> okay going back to the text I really appreciated Taja's tip for the performance artist because she says quote I really have to unblock myself and become a channel and the medium for what needs to move through me so that I can deliver the ritual of performance. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I feel mm -hmm. like this is a very valuable tip, something I definitely will keep in mind the next time I will perform anything. 
uh, to really unblock myself and like to get over myself you know it's not about me it's becoming that channel of that performance becoming the medium that's very true or whatever needs to move through i think it's such a good tip that can even help with stage fright you know because if you can remind yourself that it's not about you you're there to perform this as a vessel it might yeah. even help the stage fright because then you're not attached to the fragility of your ego or your persona or whatever mm -hmm. but <laughs> you're just there for that performance i just really found it valuable also her experience of interesting physical breakthrough as a solo performance artist was very interesting to me as well uh, the trauma from childhood abuses and more that she mentions and mm -hmm. how she relates that to the body memory and finding healing in performance that was yeah. also beautiful and i actually i think some friends of mine who also tried to um, work on projects related to performance arts as well um, expressed a couple of times that they were having similar breakthroughs as well similar liberations through that practice too um, mm. yeah but also brown asks her what's one thing that you think every human needs to feel and taja responds self-actualized mm -hmm. and lucy mm -hmm. I, I wonder if you feel self-actualized or are you close to it where do you see yourself in relation to being totally self-actualized i think i'm close to it Honestly, I think uh, I can almost touch it <laughs> I love in a it. way. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It feels really good. Yeah. How, how do you feel that you're getting close to it? I'm not sure if I can really describe it. It's more of a of an energy, I would say, of a sensation and really feeling more and more like I'm actually embodying exactly who who I've been wanting to embody this whole time. You know what I mean? That I'm actually letting my true self shine through more and more. So the energy gates have opened. You don't yeah, exactly. them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a very I good analogy. That. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yes. What about yeah. you? Well, I, I, hmm. I do feel self-actualizing. Mm -hmm. I feel in the process of it as well. Definitely moving towards it. And even though I'm not sure if I will ever feel there, you know, but I still change a lot and I feel like I'm getting closer to it like you as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as a teenager, I could really see my growth from a year before. I don't know if you can relate to that, but as a oh, teenager, for sure. I was like, oh my God, last year I, I thought of this situation like that. or I, I had very different ideas or different reactions to certain things. And even though over many years, this growth became less drastic and dramatic, um, it also became more mindful. Now mm -hmm. I'm able to trace my growth in a different light, more mindfully in my self-actualization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, it feels good. Yeah, but that's good. also nice, right? Totally. It feels amazing. Yes. Congratulations. You've made it. You're halfway through this episode. <laughs> Let's take a short musical breather and we'll be right back with you. It's wonderful. Let's move on to the next chapter on our list today, which is titled Burlesque and Liberation, Ooh -hoo -hoo, which mm -hmm. is a conversation between the two sisters, Michi Osato and Una Osato. And in this chapter, we witness yet another, another really powerful and beautiful conversation. I mean, yes. I think it's no surprise there. <laughs> One of and, my favorites as well. Yeah. 
honestly yeah. same mm-hmm. and to introduce these lovely ladies i would like to read the wonderful introduction written by adrian marie brown um, as i found it full of life and amazing information Quote, Michi Ilona Osato and Una Aya Osato are sisters, performers, writers, and educators who use burlesque to explore their identities as queer femmes of color. They are co-founders with Dawn Crandall, a.k.a. Miss Aurora Boobs Realis, (laughs) of Brass Burlesque, Brown Radical Ass Burlesque, a multidisciplinary performance troupe based in New York City. Brass uses their unique perf- <clears throat> Brass uses their unique perspectives as femmes of color as a lens to the myriad issues they are faced within society. Through celebrations of their politicized bodies, they are making politics sexy and empowering audiences to value their own stories and use their creativity toward collective action. Mm-hmm. End quote. That's a pretty great introduction, if you ask me. And I would like to point out that Una's uh, stage name is Exotic Other. (laughs) 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 Exotic spelled E-X-H-O-T-I-C Other. That's that's pretty nice, I think. (laughs) It's brilliant. I think it's it's fucking brilliant, honestly. I wish I could have come up with that name. And her sister Michi's um, stage name is Sister Selva. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I would actually highly recommend watching interviews of Michi and Una. You can find some on YouTube and Vimeo. I will add a few links in the description for you all to watch because they're so fucking cool and sweet and full of such a vibrant energy, honestly. Uh, it made me, it brought me a lot of joy to watch them and to listen to them. Um, During their conversation, the two sisters talk at length about the intention and impact of their burlesque art um, on them, but also on others. To the question, why do they do burlesque slash how is it liberatory, part of Una's answer says, quote, Burlesque gives us space to feel all emotions and to recharge together in our bodies together, not just online, but viscerally together. It's about finding freedom on stage in my own body while others watch and experience, end quote. And a little bit later, she actually adds, quote, we want nothing of the audience but to witness and hope slash know that their own freedom is wrapped in ours, and the freer we each are, the more present and fully embodied we are to work for our collective liberation, toppling down borders, prisons, and all other systems that cause violence and keep our people from being free, all while we take off our clothes, showing some titties, ass, and armpit hair, end quote. (laughs) That's such a great relationship between a performer and an audience, right? Yes, I think so too. I love mm-hmm. that it's not just it's not just about the audience watching them and them and them performing for the audience as a spectacle, but truly a connection, a deeper um, relationship in which the performer and the audience free each other, basically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I found that Literally. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had such an experience, actually, being either a performer or part of the audience? Um, I think certain theater plays that I've seen when they made me cry with a certain catharsis 
definitely yeah i just feel liberated moved um brought to wonderful places by these performers mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. for sure yeah I that's really that. wonderful i think it's nice to notice that when you can um and i, I hope everybody gets to experience that one day <laughs> have you Yeah, I think so too. I th actually, when I was little, um, my aunt used to take me to a lot of different shows like ballet uh, dance or theater plays and all of those different wonderful, creative, artistic performances. And I remember that I was so extremely passionate about them that I would slowly get up from my seat to get kind of almost clo closer to to the stage and I was mesmerized and I just felt called by by this wonderful stage and this wonderful body movement and such and yeah it made me feel freer because it was a moment of escape from the daily life and maybe the worries and mm -hmm. the pressure um the oppression which I was not aware of at the time it was like this little bubble of joy and focus yeah undestructible focus or almost and i loved that wow oh yeah <laughs> i love to picture cute little lucy getting so moved by what she's watching <laughs> yes feeling liberated without knowing that she is yeah looking back i truly feel like that's what i was feeling at the time <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> But going back to the chapter, later on, uh, Una's sister, Michi, um, still in relation to this question, in a way, she adds, quote, In thinking about burlesque as a liberation practice, I've also been thinking about that just because you are taking your clothes off doesn't mean liberation is a given. I feel like what makes it liberatory, a liberatory practice is a lot in the intention we bring to it, end quote. And I also found this really interesting um, as a point that taking your clothes off doesn't necessarily mean that you are being liberated, that you're experiencing it um, in a way that it's it's not necessarily a given, as she says herself. I found it uh, really interesting. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely. And how did you feel about this conversation, Mayas? What, what did you take from it and... Did it make you feel like learning more about burlesque or maybe even practicing it yourself one day? All of it. All of it, <laughs> seriously. There's also a really interesting point Michi made when she says to Una, quote, You have mentioned that it's been a journey to pace yourself and not take your clothes off all at once. But I feel like you taking all of your clothes off at once is in some way being afraid of your own mm -hmm, sexiness, mm -hmm. end quote. And how Una responds to it saying, yeah, it's like here, I'm aggressively showing my body before you can reject me. When I was younger and liked people who didn't like me back, I found that all the power I felt like I had was in being able to confront them, asking them directly, do you like me? They would be like, um, I don't even know you to know if I'm into you. So that wouldn't go very far, end quote. I really loved this point because my interpretation of it was um, this part is that they're talking about growing into our own unique sexiness mm -hmm. and not just imitating what we think should be sexy, just aggressively getting rid of our clothing like in some stupid Hollywood films, but learning to really embody that sexiness that belongs to us, uh, not an act not an imitation, 
of what we saw somewhere, but tapping into our own natural sexy flow. And yeah. Ina says, quote, when you're like, damn, that person is sexy. I think it's because they've tapped into what sexy is for them and it continues to evol evolve and change, end quote. This was such a brilliant point to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I loved it. And I wanted to ask you regarding this. Do you remember when you began to feel that you started to really tap into your own unique sexiness? And in what way did it emerge in your life? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Um, I think it's pretty recent, honestly. Must have been in the past, yeah, in the past five years, four years, and maybe even even more recent than that. But how did it manifest? That's a good question. I think for me, it it might be in the way that I carry myself. Mm -hmm. It's not really, or I don't want to say not caring anymore because I still <laughs> care way too much, but <laughs> <laughs> but caring less about what people think of me and focusing more on what I want to feel for myself and mm. what the effect that I want to have on the world and taking the control back on it's gonna sound really weird but taking the control back on the way people kind of react to me instead of trying my best not to take up space actually taking as much space as I want to and in that way being able to to see the reactions of people um in a positive light and not in a negative light not seeing them as looking at me saying oh my god she's doing too much or she's too to this to that not enough this not enough that but perceiving it in a way that they feel actually like I'm a person I'm a confident person and I'm just walking into the room and they can feel my energy and that is what I find very very sexy in myself oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah. I don't know that if that was clear <laughs> yeah definitely um, I love that to really own up to how you want to take space unapologetically and not assume that people think that you're being too much. Exactly. Because of your earlier conditionings, that you are open, that your energy is welcome, actually, to that mm -hmm. possibility, you know. Mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. that. I think that's really nice. Such a powerful stance that you yeah. have recently. Yeah, I think so too. And it's it's still mm -hmm. growing. It's still evolving. And that's really exciting. <laughs> that's so exciting imagine wow yeah yeah i oh, cannot wait change. to see how it's gonna be next year or even <laughs> in, the, in the next few months oh my god oh, uh... <laughs> i love it i love it i love it <laughs> but what about you i'm curious about about yeah mm -hmm. your stance yes um my experience was also different um growing up as a queer person um also a queer person who's quite unapologetically queer even when i was quite little Mm -hmm. um, so I then that also meant that I had to be confronted with the fact that many other kids, even if they were queer, even if they were, for example, bi or something, weren't as comfortable living that uh, nature of themselves uh, back then, especially when I was a child <laughs> years ago, um, because of many reasons, of course, because of many valid reasons. So that meant for me that I... I I wouldn't know if I wanted to flirt with someone if they would be open to it, 
if a guy mm, was mm-hmm. at least bi or queer in in some way. And I think I grew up with a lot of anxiety around that, especially in my teenage years and early 20s. I still kept that. But over so many years, I lost so much of my inhibitions. I also stopped assuming that people are... Um, I stopped assuming anything about people's sexuality. Also because I grew into a much more, a, a much broader perspective on it. And people are also growing into a much broader perspective on it. I even had some people who much later came out to me as bi or even gay. That Mm. back then I was positive that they were straight somehow. And then we kind of actually (laughs) confessed to each other that we missed out on a certain romance that we could live together. Wow. Yeah, so I stopped assuming anything about anyone uh, more and more, more and more. And I have been engaging with others much more openly um, you know, even on the street when I'm alone, I feel much more comfortable with locking eyes with someone with a smile when I feel that energy rising. Uh, when I vibe with someone, I show it. I don't yes. care. You know, it's, if that, that vibe is there, I will go for it. Um, whereas I would have been much more reserved about it before. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. my sexiness flows when I really allow myself to feel the joy of possibilities of connection with others. To, to leave that door open. The joy of like, there are so many things that are possible between us right now. <gasps> so many possibilities and I'm open to it. <sighs> let's, let's engage in it. And when I let that flow, that energy flow, I feel so sexy. And I feel that person is being really sexy as well when that energy is flowing. <gasps> so it's such a brilliant connection. I think that's what I've been tapping into for a while now, really. Oh my God, Mayas, I love it. Oh, I yeah. love this. <laughs> that made me feel all the chills, all the like yeah. warm, fuzzy feelings. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, I really wow. enjoy it as well. So mm-hmm. openness and curiosity basically is what um, kind of provokes this feeling of sexiness, right? In a way. Exactly. And also like... None of our gestures is a promise. So I'm not promising to you that I'm straight or that I'm gay or that we will engage in flirtation or sex or something. It's Mm -hmm. just this wonderful, open, curious energy that flows between us when we have that vibe. Ooh, yes. Mm -hmm. Relish in it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And also, I loved the way that Mechi spoke about their monthly burlesque cabaret show titled Compost Bin! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Mm-hmm. It felt so right and so necessary, like a space that is so extremely needed in this world and in these times, a space of inclusivity, liberation, and sexiness. Explaining their project, Michi says, quote, I think as people living in a world with so much injustice, in a city where we spend so much of our energy working to afford to live, many of us compartmentalize to be able to hold the pain and contradictions, to be able Mm -hmm. to keep going. As queer people, as people of color, as activists, and as organizers, we face the injustice and work day after day holding the pain, anger, and stress of these realities. So as artists, we have created compost bin as a space for our communities to both dream and create the world we wish to live in while in compost bin our minds are opened to ideas and visions of liberation and our bodies feel what it is to live in a world where we are all loved valued and free end quote beautiful 
I just thought that was extremely powerful as a statement and I'm so happy that they created that space and I kind of wish I could I could see this show. I'm so curious. I'm yes, so extremely same. curious. I wish I could um yeah, just go to one of their wonderful composed bin cabaret shows oh. and see them live, see them in person, experience the energy they create on stage, all three of them. And yeah, see their beautiful faces, their gorgeous makeup, the way they move, the way they embody their sexiness. I'm just so curious about that. And when I read this statement, this description, this necessary space that they've created, it just makes me long for it even more. And I find it wonderful the way that they use their performance and their art um, in a way to truly make people feel safe, make people feel comfortable in themselves, confident in themselves, embody their their whole fully sexy beasts instead inside of them. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, same. I hope one day, I hope one day we can see that show. Yeah. Really. Um they really made me enthusiastic about burlesque and me many too. forms of it. It really fired up my interest. I never thought of it that way. How it can be utilized to find freedom on stage in our own bodies uh -huh. to create cracks that can show our bodies that we can experience freedom we can embody it exactly and how it has a structure that can offer a lot of liberation i love that it, it kind of reminds me of psychomotor therapy you know when mm -hmm. you're in that space in a space with other people it's like group therapy and people act certain roles that have a significance in your life and oh yeah yeah Reminds me of that a little bit, like how how you create a situation or narrative that gives your body the muscle memory of liberation from mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Giving our bodies the, the muscle memory of liberation, I think, is so important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in the introduction, Adrienne Marie Brown gave us of them. I love how she said they are making politics sexy. And I believe we really do need sexier politics. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I definitely don't mean Justin Trudeau or Macron <laughs> and the kind of hype they created for their sexiness, quote unquote, you. Quote unquote, <laughs> bleh. I know. But a sexy politics defined within the framework of Audre Lorde, for example, um, how she theorized it, an erotic politics. Um, dedicated to make this life a pleasurable experience for all living beings and for this earth. Unlike how it is now where most politicians are dedicated to make life an excessively inequally privileged experience for a handful of people. Oh, this yeah. murderous politics and how we should shift it to a sexier, more erotic politics. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I wish Adrienne Murray Brown could be president of the world. <laughs> exactly. You know, we should have burlesque in our parliaments. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. Literally, parliament discussions should be in the shape of burlesque. Oh, shit. That would be so nice. And that I'm pretty sure that would untie <laughs> those assholes. <laughs> <laughs> like, why the fuck not? I mean... Why does it... They have to be like they all have to wear suit and they all have to be white and uh, cis yeah. man and ah, okay <laughs> you <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I would love to see those <laughs> those <laughs> cis white men doing burlesque. Like, yes, um, hello, can we get mm-hmm. that? Because I'm pretty sure it would be quite the spectacle. Redemption. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And something else that I really appreciated in this conversation is um, the way that they talked about their belief in joy and the way they also intentionally bring joy into their work. Uh, Michi said, quote, We also don't shy away from bringing anger and sadness and confusion. But I think the idea is that to be whole, free people, we need to be able to access and experience all of our emotions, to allow all of them to move through us and not be stuck or stagnant or forced into only one. So many of us are forcibly separated from a range of our emotional experiences because of systemic inequality, because of the ways our ancestors learned to experience the world and the way their their ancestors learned. Sometimes it feels like so many fucked up realities are imposed upon us, that there is so much pain and anger and sadness and injustice, so of course what feels urgent and relevant to express is that. But that is part of the robbery, stealing from us our ability to live joyously and with peace. So creating space where we're actually bringing that to ourselves and to the room is really important. End quote. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was a beautiful way to pretty much summarize their intention and their motivation, the passion that they put into their work. I just found it really wonderful, honestly, this whole conversation all together. I think they are so fucking right to to bring more joy into the world, not to... Um, to distract from the pain, the anger, the sadness, and the injustice, but to fight back actually those things mm-hmm. and to really use those as uh, use joy as weapons, as tools to actually bring the world together in a more joyful and liberated mindset. Yeah, very true. I love it. I love this entire conversation so much. Really, Me too. it was so wonderful. The last little quote I want to share is from Una, actually, quote, The joy in the process is just as important as the joy at the end that we're striving for, end quote. So Mm -hmm. related to what you just shared, um, their approach to joy is brilliant. And they are very serious about it. They're very serious about joy. Oh, hell yeah. I love that. I love that. (laughs) Being serious about joy. (laughs) That's such a nice way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes. Are you ready to move on to the next chapter? Yes. Yes, wonderful. Which is actually the last chapter for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And it is titled Working the Pole, a conversation with Sugoe Hernandez. And working the pole, that is my aspiration in life, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But here we go. <laughs> That's it's, what you should have done. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still considering it, honestly. <laughs> Please, go for it, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive in, I will just issue a gentle trigger warning as there will be mentions of fat shaming and body image issues. So if you'd like to skip this part, feel free to do so and just join us for our next episode. Or if you would like to stay, please listen with caution. 
This conversation between Adrienne Marie Brown and organizer slash pole dancing queen Sugue Hernandez filled my heart with a warm and fuzzy kind of joy. <laughs> yeah. I love the way Sugue um, talked about her love for pole dancing and her journey through it. She explains that before she started practicing pole dancing, she struggled to love her body, her shape, her weight, due to the fact that her mother was sadly constantly fat shaming her and engraved the very toxic belief um, that she would, quote, be more, much more beautiful if she just lost some weight, end quote. Yeah. Which I think mm-hmm. is extremely an extremely harmful thing to say to a child or to anybody for that matter. Um, so I feel for Sugue and the the way that uh, those messages were engraved in her, unfortunately, by her mother. Sugue also talks about how she used food as a coping mechanism to cope emotionally, to cope from stress, um, particularly sugar, and how she, quote, became codependent on that nurturing feeling, end quote. However, after she started her pole dancing journey, Sugoe rediscovered her body and actually learned to love and trust herself through pole dancing. She put it really beautifully by saying, quote, I also realized that I was going to need to love my body so hard, harder than I could imagine, so that I could trust it enough to hold myself up in the air, end quote. And, of course, pole dancing allowed her to fully access the sexy beast in her. The sexy beast that loves to be sensual, to booty shake, twerk, dance. Mm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I loved that. I absolutely loved it. Um, and, of course, I am a huge fan of pole dancing altogether. And strippers in general, exotic dancers. <laughs> Same. Me too. So I really appreciated this conversation. But... Mayas, I'm curious, did this conversation make you want to pole dance? And what did you take from this lovely pole dancing um, honor? (laughs) (laughs) I must say it didn't make me want to do pole dance because I tried it. You were there and it's I sucked and I. uh, No, you did not. Um, but I I love I love pole dancing. I mean I love watching people do good pole dancing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's just so beautiful, um, and I love it for Sugue how it really allowed her to experience her wholeness and claim it. Um, because in the, in the introduction, Adrienne Marie Brown says, "quote I have been continually impressed by her commitment to sharing the sexy embodiment journey in spaces that her community and family will see, claiming that wholeness, end quote. And Sugue did it knowingly, actually, as she says, quote, I even found myself being like, I will purposefully post this video of me being my most sensual self so that my tias and cousins and friends will see how many fucks I give. Yes. And I love that so much. I love that so much. That's something that you would do too. <laughs> oh, I do it. I, when I when I post on Instagram something very something that is very faggoty, faggy, I'm like, yeah, fuck your fuck all of my <laughs> fuck all of my relatives. Faggoty, I don't faggy? care. <laughs> when I'm sharing my faggest self, I do it proudly and I don't care what my relatives or As whatever. As you fucking should. Oh yeah. And my I mean, father always likes them. <laughs> so who cares? <laughs> 
And I mean, I have shared quite the amount of videos of you twerking to like Vivaldi's fucking oh, yeah. Four Seasons on my Instagram <laughs> stories. And it's the best. Oh my Amen. God, that booty shake. Mm-mm. Thank you. I always reshare them and I really don't care. Yeah, I love you that. shouldn't I... care. They're wonderful. They're little gems in the in this world. <laughs> Absolutely. I bet my relatives love watching them. <laughs> Thank me later. <laughs> Thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But the biggest take I took from this essay for me has been this fierce way of claiming our wholeness, even when it's constantly discouraged everywhere, all around us. And to be able to really say... The fact that I grew up in your frame of morality doesn't mean that I have to abide by that forever. I mm -hmm. won't let that fear of your judgment shut me down. I won't oh, let the no. fear of losing your love or respect or care or closeness to shut me down. I am willing to change the contract between us, no matter how painful it can be, so that I can feel whole in this relationship. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I will do everything for that. Because oh, otherwise yeah. it's not worth being in this contract with you, being in this social contract, this relationship, this family contract with you, if I can't be whole in it. Exactly. I think it is such precious and valuable advice, honestly, because why should we censor ourselves for the sake of a relationship, for the sake of blood, of family, friends? Who cares? If, if you have to censor yourself... For somebody then clearly something's not right and either you have to start a conversation with this person around it in order for yourself to feel liberated or you can just do it no matter what yes. just just be yourself and don't give a fuck there's too many fucks to be given in this world and this shouldn't be one of them <laughs> <laughs> you know this was also how i decided to come out to my mother at one point because i thought I noticed that the, the most unhealthy thing between us in our relationship was the fact that I wasn't able to be my whole self in it. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. was just really intoxicating our relationship to the point that I really didn't want to pick up her call, calls and didn't want to be in, in communication with her because I wasn't my whole self in it. Mm -hmm. So at one point I had to tell her everything. I had to just come out and... That was a great decision. That was me ripping our previous social or family contract and being like, we need a new one. This we one doesn't work one, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, here are my new terms, you know? Yes. Sign under it or, yeah, or we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but that's really nice because I think we tend to think, and we've, we've, uh, we've talked about this in a previous episode already, but often we tend to believe that because someone is family, we should, no matter what, stay in this relationship on their own terms, even if those terms censor us or oppress us, which mm -hmm. is actually not true at all. We can either work a way to meet halfway and actually evolve and grow together, or we can just say fuck off. It's, oh, yeah. it's our lives. We don't have to live our lives under anybody else's terms but our own absolutely true and wholeness feels so good it's mm -hmm. so worth it mm -hmm. oh yeah oh mm -hmm. yes 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 the yes. pursuit of wholeness is so worth it it's really worth the pain of losing certain relationships mm -hmm. if you are to achieve your wholeness after that yeah exactly in my experience this is how it has been i must say 
Would you like to share anything else about this wonderful pole dancing queen journey? I just love it. <laughs> I love it too. And I wish, I think, <laughs> I think the only thing that I'm going to share about this is that I miss pole dancing. I really do. <laughs> oh, you have to go back to it. You really have to. Yeah, I used, I took like not many classes, by the way, but maybe five or six pole dancing classes in Amsterdam mm -hmm. back in the days when um, I lived there last year. Yeah. Uh, I discovered it through class pass, which is amazing because you just pay 30 euros a month and then you can just have like four classes a, a month and it's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> Did you secretly get a sponsorship and didn't tell me about it? Um, um, I mean, not yet, but I'm not against In it. In partnership with... <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by ClassPass. <laughs> oh, stop it. You do it too convincingly. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, she's just waiting for her contract, you know. Yes. Why don't we get <laughs> and her any coin? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do miss ClassPass and the twerking lessons that were on them. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, you, you were really. You had a lot of potential in pole dance as far oh, as I could you. see. I think you really should continue i think you were really doing so good i would love to i looked for similar classes uh where we live but i couldn't find anything i think yeah they only have a studio in amsterdam and there's no pole dancing studio as far as i know here so i'm torn because traveling to amsterdam by train from here is just way too expensive mm, yeah <laughs> So I don't know, but I just miss it. It was honestly so freeing and it was such a good workout. It was so difficult. I was always oh, yeah. so sweaty by the end of it. I was covered in bruises on my thighs because you have to really like, yeah, you have to fucking fuck the pole basically <laughs> with <Exactly. your> thighs <laughs> in order to go up and down. And it was so painful, but it was mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't know why it just gave me this energy. I just felt so good. And even though, you know, I looked the opposite of sexy doing it because I was just like out of <laughs> breath, sweaty, struggling like an upside yeah. down turtle constantly. But it just felt good. <laughs> I know. I think there's this stage in pole dancing that you get to. And then after that, you are able to still look really sexy while yeah. doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they even gave like pole dancing classes on heels like while wearing heels and i was like oh hell no know, not yet yeah. i can't not at mm -hmm. this point but they also had twerking classes which which i was very interested in <laughs> okay well, interested in being a, a, a workshop assistant or a teacher or <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners who do not know this about me yet one of my favorite things to do is twerk around the world lucy <laughs> is a fierce twerker she is the fiercest twerker ever the way her ass can vibrate oh yeah put a fucking bumblebee to shame it can vibrate so fast that everything around us just is floating oh my god <laughs> I also especially love Lucy's floor twerking. She oh. just starts twerking on the floor and she moves through the room back and forth. She just travels <laughs> and I'm just watching her travels. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. I love twerking on the floor. It's it's my move. What can I say? It's my move. I know. Uh, <laughs> so, I miss watching you twerk. Thank you. I miss I miss twerking with you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> we would spend entire evenings just twerking together, even if oh, we yeah. were the only the only ones doing For it hours. during a party. 
Imagine how annoying we were. <laughs> oh, I bet we were so annoying, but I don't care. It was fun. I don't care. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think this is a wonderful point on which to end this conversation, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Really on point. Yeah. Our twerking skills and our twerking longings. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Soon our asses will be re- reunited in vibration, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Please. Hopefully. Let's wipe together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm-hmm. In the meantime, we have reached the end of our lovely journey once again. And it was a lot of fun. And I think this episode was more lighthearted than some of the previous episodes we recorded, which is nice. It's also really important, I think, to have some breathers in between yeah. um, certain topics that can be quite heavy or quite uh, intellectually stimulating. Um, not that these chapters were not intellectually <laughs> stimulating. <laughs> They were very... Anyway. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, but once again, thank you so much, Mayas, my juicy, juicy co-host, for joining me today. Mm. Thank (laughs) you. It was a pleasure. Same for me. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yes, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for hanging out with us yet again and giving us some of your precious, precious time. We truly, truly appreciate it. And we hope to see you next week for our next episode coming out next Sunday. And in the meantime, we wish you lots of joy and, of course, lots of pleasure. (laughs) Yes, we do. Love you. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, our music is by the very talented Patrick Villinga. And our graphic design is by the amazing Yuri Sato. You can find us on Instagram, as always, at Soft Edges Podcast. So join us there if you feel like it. Thank you for joining us today. We love and appreciate you more than you can think. All right. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>